Hello and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats number 135. It's a Sunday and we're feeling pretty alive. I'm joined, of course, with my two co-hosts, Ed Wynn of Tales of Adventure and Jim Casali of CoolStuffInc.com. As always, this cast is sponsored by CoolStuffInc.com. With free shipping on orders of $100 or more and a sweet 25% pilot bonus, CoolStuffInc.com is the store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. How are you guys doing this week? Uh, I'm alive, apparently. We're feeling alive. And I'm Ed. I, I'm not alive. <laughs> I want to go lay down. He is a bundle of energy, as always. Um, I believe Ed just al- arrived in uh, Reno for Gamma. Beautiful, Reno. Don't shoot people there. They'll make a, sound, a song about it. Uh, so I hear. Shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. No one? I don't know what you're talking about, man. All right. Well, anyway, it's been a pretty slow week. Uh, we had regionals this weekend. There wasn't much else besides that. Nothing new was spoiled for Modern Horizons, except for the cost of the boxes. So it looks like it's going to cost around uh, 163 $165 for shops. So where do you guys see this product selling at price-wise? Um, we don't know any of the cards. But what do you think that a lot of the bigger game shops are going to put it at to make sure that their margins are okay? Do you think that we're going to see $200 boxes or $240 boxes? Just based off initial prices. I mean, I think a lot it, a lot of it will depend on what's in the set itself. Um, generally speaking, uh, you can pre-order boxes of product at the beginning for less than you can when it comes closer to the set release. So stores will do a, a lower margin at the, at the beginning to sell more boxes. And then because magic players are notoriously uh, short-sighted and will wait to the last second to buy things, they will charge more money as it gets closer to the release date of the product. Uh, if this was a master set, I'd think that it'd be towards the higher end to start out, but even though it has a master style pricing scheme, it is an unlimited print run product as far as I'm aware. So I don't know that it necessarily will start out that expensive. I think that $200 is probably likely what the cheapest that you're going to be able to find sealed product for um, at the beginning, like right now. And then it'll probably go up to like 225, 230, maybe even 250 closer to release, depending on how, popular the product is as cards get revealed for it Ed? uh this one is kind of odd the fact that it's not a limited print run is somewhat interesting to me one because with the previous master sets especially for a uma there was a lot of urgency for people to go out and buy their product right away uh you you especially uma because people wanted to be buying the sealed boxes um to get the box stoppers off the bat. If you go to ga- game stores now, at least my experience, a lot of the boxes seem to be gone, but stores still have some amount of product that is just sitting there that's opened and they're trying to sell the packs, which is not it, it, not the easiest thing to do right now. I don't think, I think it's, it, we've kind of moved on. Ultimasters is no longer the, the big new thing. Um, the fact that this isn't unlimited, or the fact that this isn't limited, might make it so that there's less urgency for people to go out, um, to go out and just 
be buying product right away, especially it depends on how it shapes up. It's hard to see how um, modern might change with the new uh, cards, depending on what power level there is in it. Um, I suspect that prices will spike initially for the hype, especially with stores that didn't take a huge amount of uh, pre-orders or they didn't buy a lot off the bat. And then if it turns out to be a huge success, like Battle Bond was, for example, then it's going to cause a short, a very, very short-term glut where everyone's wanting to buy it because they missed out because it turned out the set was awesome and then they didn't get it. And then that's going to cause a short-term surge in prices. But I imagine long run, as long as Wizards continue to print it to demand, which is what is looking like is going to be, then prices should just slowly stabilize over long term for both for singles and sealed product. Yeah, I I tend to agree with that. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how many people put this online. Uh, notably with Ultimate Masters, there was definitely a race to the bottom. Um, so we're going to see how fast shops and players can afford to accommodate this into their budget. Because you're seeing Ultimate Masters boxes drop right now as people lock in their profits so they can afford to buy Modern Horizons. Um, so you may see the same thing where you see Ultimate Masters boxes as low as like $30 above cost just because everyone's trying to uh, undercut each other because they either ordered too many or they need to make their money back before the next month. So it'll be interesting to see where the price of this goes. Because Ultimate Masters boxes have dropped like 10 to 15% in the last week as everyone tries to undercut because players are no longer interested as much. Um, I think box toppers are still the same. Uh, I think Ed's still pretty bearish on that. So we'll see. Uh, I, I think uh, the long-term prospect on sealed Ultimate boxes Masters boxes is still quite good. There still seems to be a very negative association with loose box toppers. Um, since there seems to be that people seem still seem to think that they're searchable. I've tried doing it. I can't search them. I would like to see someone prove me otherwise, but I can't seem uh, can't seem to find a way to do it with any reasonable accuracy. Um, is that something you've noticed at Grand Prix where you'll have a sealed box topper? And players are just not interested. Uh, I've not had sealed box toppers available um, at events. I've not seen people try to sell their sealed box topper, and I've not seen many vendors try to uh, sell their box topper unless the box was opened with the purpose of uh, selling the packs right away, and someone saw the box topper being pulled out of the sealed box right then and there. Yeah, just curious. Anything else to add about Modern Horizons and Ultimate Masters before we move on? No, I think that that's good. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about um, what I think could be a problem for Modern Horizons is that War of the Spark has 36 Planeswalkers in it, and it's a lot cheaper to buy because it's you know a normal standard set. So unless they're like, all hot garbage planeswalkers. I think that a lot more people, like especially a lot more casual people, will be more interested in purchasing the busting boxes of War of the Spark than they will Modern Horizons, which could cause a lot of problems with singles. I think that's fine because both products are targeted at different types of players. 
because Wizards has shown that they're willing to target whales with these masterpiece promos and higher end box stuff. And the amount of casual players that have $5 for a pack versus the amount of players that have 15 or 10 for a pack. Uh, that's completely different markets, especially with how many magic players there are out there. And if you look at War of the Spark, that's probably going towards more of the arena players, whereas Modern Horizons is more targeted at the players that have been around a while or the whales. I mean, I I don't disagree with you, but I think that there's definitely some amount of product that gets opened of like master sets and things sets like Modern Horizons that will they'll open like a Tarmogoyf or Liliana of the Veil and immediately sell it to the store because they have no intentions of playing with it, which, you know, helps to keep singles churning to people that will buy them. You know, they're trying to open whatever their, their sweet, like casual card is. I'm not sure that this set's going to have enough of those to, to pull people into buying those boxes instead of War of the Spark, which means that the only people that will be opening the boxes or the stores are people that draft it. And I think that that's net negative towards people looking to buy singles at this set. Like, I don't think that there's going to be a ton of people, or maybe not as many people as usual, just like buying a box on release date, busting it and selling the singles that they don't want to the store. Yeah, that's a good point. And you definitely should keep that in mind. Ed, any thoughts on our differing opinions? Uh... I do think they're marketed slightly differently. I also imagine that Wizards will have some sort of gimmick with Modern Horizons that they haven't announced yet as one of the ways to help push sales. Um, whether that be uh, some something along the lines of, hey, we have, you know, like with A25, we're announcing that Jace is going to be a set, and then they coincidentally decide to unban Jace on the same cycle. It wouldn't surprise me if something like that happened to mix the format up. <clears throat> it, I feel like that's a technicality. It's possible that they could reprint. Uh, well, what's a sweet card? That's like reprint like Umizawa's Jite, for example, and then decide to ban it. Obviously, I don't think they'll ban it. Obviously, I don't know if they will, but that feels like a technicality of the uh, no reprinting any modern illegal cards. Um, but. Uh, my my point is that it wouldn't surprise me if there was something special about this set that was more than just um, a, like a battle bond slash conspiracy type product. Clearly, they have the data from Ultimate Masters that these box hoppers are pretty well received. People like them. It gives a lot of value to the boxes long term sealed. Um, it makes buying sealed boxes more appealing as a whole. Um, it's much easier to justify wanting to buy a sealed box if there's if you're guaranteed a floor on your return on the singles because of the box topper itself. Um, granted, you have, like, with Ultimate Masters, you have some pretty bad box toppers. Um, Lava Claw reaches, uh, I can't, I, Sterling Wildwood, etc. They're obviously pretty bad, but with Ultimate Masters, uh, even with the prices where they are at now, I think the EV of the box is still fairly reasonable. Uh, and again, I think a large part of that is just people want the sealed boxes um, as opposed to loose packs right now because of uh, it's just the lore of the box hopper alone. And I think something, some sort of gimmick like that would be what Wizards wants to guarantee that even if the set itself is sweet, doing something like that would just help push sales on it 
over the top, which is usually where they want to be during the summer months, quarter, quarter three or so, when sales are generally slower on these types of things. Uh, something I want to touch on for the subject of sealed boxes. There's been a lot of old sealed boxes coming out of the woodwork, and I know I keep harping on this, but people are starting to comment on it on like the sealed Facebook groups. Um, a lot of people are cashing out of Legends and Antiquities boxes. I think there's like 12 Legends boxes on the market right now. So uh, something to keep in mind when you're looking at investing in boxes is how easy it is to flip that box and the demand for that box because not many people have 17 or $18,000 for a Legends box. Um, or how many people, if you're going to sit on an Ultimate Masters box, can have $300 available? And how many people does that box appeal to? So when you're looking at investing in boxes, you should definitely look at uh, the types of people that those boxes appeal to as well as the demand and the value inside. Now, obviously, Legends is more of a collectible slash investment, but it's just something to keep in mind. Um, I don't know if Ed wants to talk about old sealed product or not. I think with old sealed product, it's slightly different. One, because there's a lot more uh, conditions that go into it. Like, <clears throat> it's one thing to shove an Ultimate Masters box into a flat rate box and send it across the country for $12 or whatever. Selling an $18,000 Legends box is probably slightly different. Uh, you have a different set of clientele wanting those. Um, I am, we, I think we've talked about this a bit in the past. Investing in booster boxes has not been very promising as of late. Ultimasters is probably since the since industry, basically. Uh, there's just too many boxes out on the market right now. Um, and the the space equity is the is part of the reason why I don't do it anymore. I used to buy six plus cases and just uh, stash it away every set. And then after a while, it was just it was just taking up too much space, and I could use the space for other things. Um, obviously, if you have a Legends box that takes up a lot less space, and I imagine most there probably aren't a lot of people holding on to six plus cases of Legends, for example. Um, but then you with higher boxes, you have a different um a set of issues you want to be able to store it correctly if you see a lot of um if you see a lot of old sealed product especially if it was stored in an attic someplace where the climate isn't well controlled uh the the packaging starts to fade and the plastic actually starts to tear um and in fact one of the boxes that sold last week with legends was fifteen hundred dollars less because the plastic was damaged Yep. Not because it was torn off, just because it exactly what happened with Ed, where they, I guess, they sorted in a closet, and because of that, the seller lost out on fifteen hundred bucks. And obviously, this is a pretty low pick of the week when it comes to money. You know, only eighteen thousand dollars. So we understand that maybe not every listener is into that, but if you do find some old boxes, even alliances or Weatherlight or something like that, where you're going to see a couple more of those. Make sure you're storing your boxes correctly. Whereas the newer stuff is a little easier to store. I think that it's it's kind of common knowledge now that booster boxes, generally speaking, are not worth keeping. But in kind of a weird way, um, Commander Sealed product has been quite good. That stuff has been getting more expensive every year that it's out of print. And the cards in it are 
infrequently reprinted and often don't have very much effect on the actual price of the sealed product itself. Uh, if you really wanted to buy sealed product for some reason, I think that Commander product is some of the best that you can buy. I have been selling sealed vampiric... Uh, one sec. Vampiric bloodlust. I had to look at the shelf. They're like $110 on eBay and 130 on TCG, and they've been selling very well. And that's just because Teferi's protection keeps going up, but it's also the casual players. I've had people message me on eBay. They're like, hey, can you open this deck? And then can you take out the Teferi's protection? And how much would that cost to ship it to me? Because I guess they're too lazy to just go buy the singles and you know add all 99 to their cart. Um, but the 2017 and 2016 Commander decks, I want to say, have been selling very well. Whereas there is currently a glut of 2018 Commander decks. You can actually order some of them for $25 on Amazon with free shipping. Yeah, the 2018 ones are like a weird miss in a way because there's not a lot of new unique cards that people actually want. And the like the theming of the decks was kind of loose. So I think that that's like more of an exception than anything else because even the worst possible like even the worst deck from 2017 which was the Arcane Wizardry one is still $49. Yep. You know, the 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 cat deck is $72. The dragon one, the cheapest English copy of the dragon one is $130. Like most of the time the decks are very good. The 2018 ones uh may take a little bit longer to like mature, but in general I think that Commander Seal product is quite good. And as a whole, I think just for as a store retailer or someone who um, who wants to start a, a commander community, selling the having these decks in stock is far and away the best way one to both get people introduced to commander and generally as uh, magic as a whole. It's not necessarily the simplest thing, but the fact that the decks play well with each other and they're made to play right out of the box and it's slightly more interesting to play with them um, as opposed to the Planeswalker Star decks that the, that Wizards hands you for free. I think a lot of that is just why these products tend to do so well and I think um, it like every time every time they come out each year, people always poke fun and say, you know, this mechanic fell by the wayside. I remember people complaining about 2016 with the 2016 was a four color deck. Is that right? Um, yep. The, uh, yeah. Uh, I remember a lot of people were harping about how there's no symmetry. The decks don't really go well together. But as it turns out, Commander 16, like Jeremy said, he says he's been selling, selling the sealed decks very well. And then as a whole, the singles tend to do very well because there's a lot of different ways where they interact with each other that tend to do very well among the casual crowd. Like Grey Merchant, Fleshbag Marauder, all that stuff. There's a lot of commons that are becoming worth money from that. But obviously that's Doug that's Doug's wheelhouse for that sort of stuff. Yep, and, and like even the worst of commander decks, like even the worst ones in, in every year are worth usually at, at, at like double the MSRP of the time it was released. 
Like if you look at the 2016 Commander decks, the the least expensive one is still uh, $70 for the uh, Stalwart Unity, the non-black deck. So I think I think that people really underestimate the appeal of the Commander Sealed product. Like a lot of players are, I want to say, lazy and they'd rather spend more money and get the whole deck than like order all the singles from a store for the same amount of money. Yeah, and just looking on Amazon, it looks like people caught on to that Reddit thread, but you can still get Commander decks for $30 shipped, which is not bad if you're not a shop. So it's uh, not bad. You could just buy them out and sit on them or something. I mean, some of them are like even just like worth, like one card in the deck is worth as much as that. Like, yeah. You could buy, if you find the Vampiric Bloodlust one, for example, for like, $30, $35, like the Jeffrey's Protection just by itself is worth the cost of that deck, so the other 99 cards are free. You can yep. sell the rest of those as singles. Great point. And you want to know what else is another great point? Our credit winner of the week, Ed or Jim. Do you want to say where people can leave a question? And then Ed, do you want to go ahead with who won this week? I feel like we should do it in the order where we usually read the question first, and then after the question is read, we tell about people how to do it next week. Aha! Just like Riftbolt, you're keeping them in suspense. Ed, go ahead and let us know who won this week. That was so bad. Uh, congratulations to Maddie Exile. Uh, the question is, thanks for the cast, guys. Saw discussion of Modern Horizons. As you mentioned in in the cast, some modern staples are definitely creeping up. Uh, parentheses fetches, as there is not uh, a, a spot in sight for easy reprints. That said, is it possible we see another situation where prices of legacy staples reserve, slash reserve list cards end up seeing an uptick as people try to m move their buffed up modern cards into these? Also, do you believe that Modern Horizons is Watsi's attempt to recoup some reprint equity for some of the modern staples that have had their prices drop quite a bit from the reprints, Goyf, etc.? So uh, he's basically just asking what we talked about last week, where how many people are going to trade Scalding Tarns into duels? Ed, what are your thoughts? Uh, I think we're starting to see that right now. Um, as Jeremy kind of hinted at, the most recent development is how much fetches have ticked upwards this week. Scouting Tarn was already pushing 100. Uh, you can't really find that many copies for less than that now. Um, it's probably the most played like non-Lightning Bolt card in Modern. Certainly the most played land in Modern. Um, uh, Phoenix just far and away the best deck. It'll be kind of interesting to see how regionals... Um, how the data from that shows, but I know a fair amount of Is a Phoenix was just everywhere among the top tables. Um, so I think that once people are starting to realize this, and this is an easy shift, um, if you want to take apart your Is a Phoenix deck and you just trade out the four Scalding Tarns, that's an underground C at minimum. Um, if, you're, if your stores are giving 60, 70, maybe even 80 in trade credit or whatever, that probably will get you a very decent underground Z. Um, all that's going to happen is, like we saw last year, once the cheaper cards start to catch up, then it causes the Legacy Index and eventually the Vintage Index to 
uh, just pop as a whole. Um, Misty Rainforest is pushing like 70 now, I think, as of yesterday when I had last checked the price. Um, I imagined other blue duels probably aren't. I don't think that Blue Delta and Flood, uh, Flood Strand necessarily will get to be a million dollars, but. Um, those I would suspect that they might see a small price bump from where they are at right now. Generally, when these things happen, people look towards the budget substitute, as it were, wherever that is. Same reason why extra bait has gone up in price because some people don't want to pay seventy dollars for surgical extraction, so people are looking at the next uh, uh, at the next best thing. Um, as for the second part of this, the uh, reprint equity, I think. Wizards is starting to realize that with as many master sets as they've done, and with how many times some of these cards have been reprinted, it's becoming hard harder for people to be excited about seeing the same card. In 2013 and 2015, opening a, in 2013, opening Tarmogoyf was a huge deal. In 2015, tar, opening Tarmogoyf was that's cool. Tarmogoyf is still expensive, and by the time 17 rolled around, people were not that thrilled to open a Tarmogoyf anymore. One, because the price has gone down so much. Two, because it's less playable. But the initial excitement isn't really there. So, um, by sh kind of shifting this away from that, this allows uh, Watsi to kind of recapture that excitement. W even if that means, you know, new art counterspell or something. Uh, it might not be the most expensive thing, but seeing these types of cards be introduced into modern with a new card frame um, with the new legality aspects probably is going to be what it, if wizards is able to succeed with modern horizons, those are the types of things that they need to, they need to hit on. Um, if, if they, if they really want the product to sell well, instead of becoming more of a uh, conspiracy type product that initially people were excited to open and then it just fell by the wayside pretty fast. Yeah, this is not like really in my wheelhouse of things that I follow particularly closely, but I do agree with the things that Ed is saying that, uh, you know, historically, whenever decks have been more expensive, if fetch lands get more expensive, then the more the previously more expensive reserveless cards will go up. So, without having to like basically just uh, sound like a broken record and say everything that Ed said again. Uh, I think he accomplished everything that we wanted to say. Yeah, we talked about this last week. As for the second part, I don't think Wizards is attempting to recoup some reprint equity. I think they just need to show sales numbers to Hasbro because most of Hasbro is struggling, but Magic is doing well. So Hasbro is probably putting more pressure on Wizards to keep up the good profit margins. And Arena probably helps with that. So... Uh, yeah, Jim, where can Maddie claim his credit? You can send me an email at cartelaristocrats at gmail.com, and I will send you your gift certificate for $25 for coolstuffing.com. If you'd like to win next week, that's unfortunate because we're not casting next week. If you'd like to win the week after, uh, you can leave a comment on the coolstuffing.com page that will go up uh monday or tuesday so march 11th or 12th i'm not sure depends on how busy he uh they are 
and then uh, leave a leave a question. And if your question gets chosen next time on the cast, you can win twenty five dollars of cool stuff in com store credit. Yeah, Ed and I will be in Kyoto and Gamma, so we don't have time to record. And Jim needs a week off from us, so we won't be recording next week. I'm going to be on vacation, like That's real why vacation. I said you need a week off. Yes. Us Jim, being on the other side of the world is not far enough for Jim from Florida, so he is leaving Florida to get even farther away. I'm actually going closer to you. I'm well, going in the same direction. So I'm going to be in Seattle, so that's closer to Kyoto <laughs> than I started. So no, that's the wrong way. That yeah. that 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 analogy doesn't make any sense. I have to record on vacation all the time. Yeah. Yeah, but you don't have a wife and responsibilities that come with that yeah man i have a family to take care of family of one all right so for the last topic of the day um this actually came up uh, this was on the leaving a legacy facebook group um so i was talking with someone who owns basically every competitive foil that has ever been printed in modern uh mainly old bordered and some of it is signed and he's looking to trade it into power. Uh, he wants to get a full set of power by defoiling basically every competitive card ever printed as a playset. Um, but he's trying to figure out how to grade signed cards. And on top of that, when does an old board foil become cloudy? And when does it downshift in a grade? And on top of that, uh, if your old border foil starts to warp a bit, at what point do you start degrading that foil? So I figured we'd talk about foils and grading this week because it seemed like a lot of listeners really liked what we talked about last week with uh, different card shops and how they grade stuff. And I know Jim likes his shiny stuff. So if Ed could sort of give a rundown on old bordered foils, how to grade them, how clouding and bending comes into play. And I'll obviously say some stuff too. But it's really important, especially when you have a lot of reserveless foils like Grim Monolith and Metalworker being obscene amounts of money. How do you know that the card you're buying is actually a good deal for that condition when you see it at a Grand Prix or online? So it's just a good topic. Don't buy foils. Foils suck. Hashtag mic drop. Well, that, that ruins the entire thing. But he's got five figures worth of old border foils and you know do you want to explain what clouding is and how that applies to grading instead of being a smart aleck or smart ed do i have to jim you take yeah. care of this since you're the one that buys foils ed you're getting I mean, paid you better, I, you better I, I don't i don't grade them but the so I want to take a step back and say, uh, don't get cards signed that you ever plan on selling. It's stupid. It's harder to do, and they're almost always considered LP or worse. So if you get cards signed, don't don't get cards signed that you have intentions of selling ever. Uh, we'll just get that out of the way. I have some signed cards. I'm going to get more signed cards this coming weekend. But these are cards that I know I'm going to use forever, and I'm not planning on selling them until like maybe i eventually sell all of my cards uh so 
as a as a first step is don't get cards signed. If you get cards signed, they're almost exclusively considered uh, LP or worse because they're written on, and most people don't care or don't want it. And the people that do will only play a, pay a premium for very difficult to get signatures. So signatures from people that are no longer alive or people that don't sign cards very often. Um, but that's a topic for a different day, I think. Uh, as far as foiling is concerned, um, one of the things that you have to be careful with with older foils is clouding and bending and um, newer foils is actually just damage out of the pack. Some of them yeah, just aren't near mint to begin with. That looked like a Pringle and it was fresh out of the pack and I can't even get it to sit straight with double sleeve. Yeah, so um, most foils over time will curl. There's just not a lot of way to avoid that. There are certain sets of foils that are more likely to curl, which is due to the printing process use. Um, a lot of things made in the last like three-ish years plus things that were printed in Kamigawa and I think Orwin and Morning Tide and Shadowborn Eventide, I think are more likely to be curled than others. Um, I make I make the joke that whenever I get a Kamigawa foil, they basically all look like boats and there's like not a lot that you can do about it. Uh, I personally don't care when I know that the set is prone to do that because your chances of finding a near mint, like actual near mint foil of that is basically zero and you're probably paying twice as much money than is reasonably expected. Uh, but if your card is very warped, people will consider it LP. And if it's very, very warped, it could be damaged. Like if you can tell in a sleeve, if it's double sleeved and you can tell that it's, it's curled, like a very distinct curled pattern, then those are marked cards and you can't play them in competitive. Um, there are foils that are slightly bent, and if you have an entire deck of slightly bent cards, then they're not marked. So um, it's not as bad, but generally speaking, most foils will tend to curl. And if you have curled foils, uh, you can try putting them in like a top loader under like a heavy book in a cool dry place and maybe it'll get straightened out but honestly i don't know that there's a very good way to undo the damage that is done by curls by put them in the one row with some silica packets yeah that also could help um if you want to stop your cars from curling i would recommend storing them double sleeved uh i have had good success in probably one of the worst places to have foils uh florida is hot and humid which is the two worst things for foils and as long as mine are double sleeved they for the most part don't get worse than what they already were uh but there's been times where like i did a pre-release and just like left like some random common foils in the box that i opened like you know like a forest or whatever and i come back to it a month later and it's super curled and there's not much you can do to, to fix that and honestly i probably wouldn't for forest anyway uh as far as clouding clouding is it's, it's hard to describe without a picture. So I'm gonna try to describe what it is in words and hopefully you can understand what I am saying. So when you look at specifically, if you look at old border foils, um, there's not a gradient to the foil. So when you, when you look at it and you shine it in the light, it should look the same all around the border. 
if some of the border is duller than other parts of the border, then that's what clouding is. And if the entire card is clouded, it might be difficult to tell that it is clouded. But it kind of it kind of looks like um, it kind of looks like if you take like your glasses off and like breathe on them, you see like the the mist form on the on the lens. It kind of looks like that on cards, and that depending on where you're selling them will cause them to be lower grade than they would otherwise. Like a little bit of clouding is okay for SP or LP cards, but a significant amount of clouding, especially in the text box, which is more noticeable, will draw, drop that card down to MP or damaged at that point. Is that is that true? I, I believe all the things I said are true. Most of it. Um, the other thing you have to keep an eye out for is foil cut lines on old bordered cards. Some players don't care, and some players treat them as damaged. And this happens a lot on reserveless foils, where like the cut sheet ends. So I understand that some people don't like them, but I have not seen any rules specifically about cut line, like foil cut lines being considered damaged cards. Like I don't think if you go to TCG Player, it says anything about old border cut line foils. Like, is that am I am I incorrect? So you are correct, and this ties into what we talked about last time with card shops grading. So just because TCG says that's a near mint card, a lot of players still think of it as damaged or played. And so you get into that whole thing when you're selling foils where you're like, look, TCG says this is this condition and the seller's like, I don't care. I want a refund, blah, blah, blah. So. Oh, and, and for anyone who is unaware of what the old border cut lines are, Basically, the foil layer on on cards is like a sticker, and cards are printed in sheets, and sometimes the sticker is not the same size as the sheet. So maybe like halfway down the card or so, the new sticker will start. And when you see that on cards, especially old border foils, uh, I'm not sure actually that they exist on the new border foils. Anything that has the modern frame, I don't think has them. But basically what you what you look for is when you look at the foil, there will be like an abrupt change. Like it should be the same all the way up and down the foil. Like the border should be the same color and it should have the same shine. But sometimes the sticker that has the foiling, uh, the foil back part is halfway on the card, like half of the sheets on the card and the half of the next sheets on the card. And you'll see like a break, usually in the middle of the card where it doesn't, it's not damaged and you won't feel anything if you touch it. But if you look at it really closely, you'll notice that like something's off about it because it looks like something, like it looks like you ran out of ink and then started immediately again. Uh, I, I think if you look up online what the, what the cut line foil, like if you Google cut line foils, you should be able to find a picture of what that looks like. Yep. And uh, clouding really uh, damages the amount of players that want cards. Even if a foil is not near mint and it's warping, but there's no clouding, a lot of times you'll have a small subset of commander and cube players that don't care because they're trying to foil out their cube on a budget, if that makes sense. So like they still want the coolest foils, but 
they'll take a less than near mint or less than sleeve playable one for their casual stuff. Um, but when it comes to clouding, you're sort of ruining the whole premium of the foils and it's much more dull and splotchy sort of all over the card. So there's a very small market for especially like Urza's uh, clouded foils. So just keep that in mind. Right. And, and the last thing that I just wanted to make mention of is um, a lot of foils don't come out of the pack near mint anymore. Uh, I don't know if it has to do with the paper that they use or the foiling process that they use, but um, this was especially bad with Zendikar uh, Expedition lands. A lot of them came out of the pack damaged because the edges of the card may not like the the machines that cut the card didn't cut all the way through or didn't cut cleanly, and you'll have dings and dents and scratches that are very noticeable on the sides of the cards. So make sure that even if you open the card in a booster pack, that you double check the, the edges of the card to make sure it's actually near mint if you're going to try to sell it like that. Um, I know that a lot of Masterpiece cards uh, from the first two sets of Masterpieces were damaged right out of the pack, like SP or even MP because of how badly they were cut. Um, and sometimes people just don't open packs very nicely. Like, the ideally the best way to open booster packs is to push the cards like push the cards down in the pack and then slice the top with the scissor and push the back out but a lot of people will just rip the pack open with their hands and a lot of the times that'll dent or ding the card in the back which is often the foil so if you are opening expensive booster packs i would recommend you not just rip the pack open uh because you could damage your foils like for example if you ordered any of the uh Ravnica Mythic Edition things, the booster packs that come with the foil planeswalkers in them, I always open with a scissor instead of trying to open the pack because I don't want to damage them. Anything else to add, Ed? Nope. Okay, let's get into pick of the week. Uh, Mr. Sleepy, what's your pick this week? Uh, Besides so a pillow or two. Uh, so anyone who listened last week, I had suggested that uh, Deep Glow Cloudskate was a good pick. Uh, the card has gone up accordingly, mainly because the supply on that card is so low. I don't know if that's because people decided to actually go out and start buying copies because I said so, um, or if it's organic. But uh, these low in stock high demand commander cards seem to be a good target uh this week um it's actually another commander 2016 card uh ravos soul tender uh it is the five mana black white uh commander it has it's a two two flying other creatures you control get plus one plus one at the beginning of your upkeep you may return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand and it has partner uh nothing too impressive it's just one of those cards where it was not reprinted in commander anthology uh two unlike deep globe cloudscape so there's only one printing for this card um the spread between card kingdom and the actual sell price is uh very low generally when card kingdom has a high buy price on this it means that they turn over uh this card quite quite quickly uh, it's hard for them to keep in stock, especially with um, a lot of other commander cards. Um, 
looking on TCG right now, there's actually only uh, three, four, five, six, ten copies available. Um, I don't own any because as soon as I get this card, it pretty much sells right away. I feel like anyone who wants to buy these up probably can make a quick buck, but uh, I'll, I'll leave that to someone else. Um, as a whole, I think just Commander 2016 was a set that was well done. It was well received. Um, and as we talked about earlier in the episode, uh, trying to find these decks sealed is quite expensive. These singles sell very well, um, especially the ones with partner, mainly because people seem to, by nature, have to buy two uh, partner commander decks or two partner commanders um so it makes most of these cards probably a good target as a whole um if you're trying to spec on them in probably short term who knows if they'll do another commander anthology type product but uh even even if it what they weren't necessarily low supply i think just how quickly these turnover makes for most of these to be reasonable specs Is it my turn, Jeremy? Are you going to tell me, or are you just going to be silent? Jim, what is your pick of the week? I don't like a lot of competitive cards right now. I don't really know what's going on with Standard. I haven't been keeping up, and uh, Modern is obviously about to go through some some growing pains. So I'm picking a Commander card. Uh, I think that people will likely try to build Super Friends decks of some sort of variety with the War of the Spark coming up soon, uh, a land that I don't think enough people use that is quite good and will probably not get reprinted very soon is Reflecting Pool. Uh, so my pick this week is Reflecting Pool. It's a card that will show up in a lot of lists and people will be like, yeah, I don't know if I need it. And then eventually realize that it's like basically a five-color land that doesn't do any damage to you. Um, so I expect that people, especially when they need better mana because they're playing a bunch of different colors for all the different Planeswalkers, uh, will stumble upon this card and, and, and need a copy of it. Um, my pick of the week is the sealed beta starter that was... No, I'm kidding. Um, there's a couple. So if we're getting all these Planeswalkers, I like stuff like Chromatic Lantern even more um, in case there's just like some interesting synergies between Planeswalkers. In that same vein, I also like another casual staple like Gilded Lotus. It's something where both of these cards have tons of commander play, but any amount of playing standard like we saw with Chromatic Lantern in that mono black deck um, really helps with the price of that. So I feel like these are great specs just based right off Commander. And if it hits in Standard, you're going to make way more money than you thought you were. Um, I like selling Teferi right now. Uh, you're seeing on a lot of the interwebs, people are trading Tarmogoyce for Teferi straight up because they want to use the Goyf instead of the Teferi. I think we all agree that Teferi is going to get reprinted at some point again. But uh, it just seems like... Good time to dump your Teferis if you have them. Well, they're still worth a ton of money. Um, other than that, I don't know. Like, I just want sort of save stuff this week. So, yeah. Is that it? Is that I, don't play? I don't know. You, you tell me, boss. Well, we did a solid hour. 
we could keep going, but I think we all need a nice little vacation. Um, Why so, would yeah. you say it like that? I don't know. Where can people find you guys while we are away from the cast? Uh, my name is Jim Casala. You can find me on Twitter at PHROSD underscore. You can find me in Ed's Worst Dreams, apparently. Uh, and I will be in Seattle next week, basically for the whole week. Uh, so if you know of any sea places to play Pokemon Go and or Magic, um, I'm probably going to try to get out to the Mox Boarding House. I've heard that's very good, but I'm not really familiar with the area. So just shoot me a uh, message on Twitter if you know any good places to go. Uh, I'm Edwin. I'm Edwin13 on Twitter. I'm in Gamma uh, until Thursday this week, and then I will be in Tampa and Kyoto. Uh, in Tampa with Tales of Adventure and in Kyoto to uh, vacation. Um, I will... Well, you can find me on Twitter at MissouriMTG. Uh, I will be at Gamma, then Bill Bell, and then I will be chasing it around Kyoto. So... That's half the fun. Um, Thanks for listening, guys. We hope you enjoy an extended break from this podcast. Um, Obviously, you know, we appreciate you guys tuning in every week. I was remarking with someone today that we've been recording for almost four years, five years. So we still appreciate you guys listening 135 episodes later. So enjoy your break. We'll see you towards April. And as always, bye-bye.